hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! in the European Cup final. It's the Red Agenda on The Athletic. Welcome along. So Liverpool have an FA Cup replay, but Jürgen and his first team won't be there, right or wrong. We'll get the thoughts of Simon Hughes and James Pearce in a moment. Our two dedicated Liverpool writers. On the Premier League front, the Reds could be 22 points ahead of Man City before City next play. We'll have a look back at the late, late show against Wolves. Uh, our man Simon's going to take an in-depth look at Mo Salah's form. He's retraced his football journey in Egypt. And we're going to answer some of your questions you've been sending in to the Red Agenda. Loads of them coming in. Really appreciate that. So we'll get through some of them uh, later on. This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet. 365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet 365's the world's favourite online sport betting company, and the app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Right, let's have a word with James Pierce and Simon Hughes. Uh, again, it's a busy, busy week when it comes to Liverpool. Simon, welcome back, first of all. New member to the Hughes family, presumably um, given a Liverpool name somewhere in the... In the no? no, you're not allowed no, to do that no, by Mrs no, Hughes? No, no, no. We, we're, we, we're allowed to install we, Fernando or something in the... No, my wife is from a family <laughs> of Evertonians. Oh, she, she's, right. she's, uh, she's switched. Right. As we've been together for quite a long time and she's 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 seen the light. But um, yeah, I don't think we'd get away with that. Is that acceptable, James, to put a, a Liverpool reference within your child's name? Yeah, I think it's. I'm actually disappointed in him. I thought, I thought at least Divock might be one of the, might be one of the middle names. Divock. Right. Well, uh, Divock might just come into this conversation. Um, so Liverpool got an FA Cup replay, which um, they desperately didn't want. I mean, we all knew a month or so ago that that Jurgen Klopp was likely to throw a bit of a hand grenade into this. They're going. They're going to entertain Shrewsbury at Anfield, but Jurgen says the first team aren't there, and himself. Yeah, I think. Not a huge surprise because I think if you go back to I remember hearing Klopp speak in Qatar before Christmas and he was he was talking then about the winter break and he he described it as he said it's, it's incredible he said that if we were to get to a fourth round replay that it would actually fall within the winter break he was like you know how how is that even possible and you know when when he said it then it kind of like jogged in your memory and you thought yeah that. That is that's going to be interesting how he would handle that one. Um, I must admit, I was still surprised after the game yesterday when he, you know, made it absolutely crystal clear that not only will the kids be playing, but he won't even be there himself. I think you know, it's it's. Clock. Is that the more pertinent element? Of yeah, all I this, think the so. fact the manager's not there. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I, I think this has been brewing for so long. I think Klopp has been been going on about fixture congestion and what he sees as the crazy fixture scheduling the bit that doesn't give his elite players he feels anything like the break that that he thinks they they should have um that it the that he's reached a point now where it's like enough's enough you know I, I talk and talk no one ever takes any notice I keep on asking for the authorities to come together and 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 actually sort things out it never happens I'm banging my head against a brick wall so do you know what sod it I'm 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 sticking by my decision the players are having a week off we'll play the kids you know, if, if if the FA have got a problem with it, then they can, you know, they can be the ones that, that answer the questions about why the FA Cup's come to this, because it's their fault for organising cup replays during what should be a two-week break for, for Premier League teams. So, so presumably he's accusing the football authorities, Simon, of, of hypocrisy, really. He's saying on one hand you're saying have a break, and on the other hand you're, you're putting a, another fixture in the schedule. <clears throat> yeah, well, it goes back to... What James said there, he mentions it regularly over the last, since he's come to Liverpool, about the idea that the authorities just don't communicate with each other, about how yeah. the football calendar doesn't really work. It's not geared towards the benefit of the actual spectacle of the game, which I can understand that because, you know, the players, I think at the moment, you, you watch the way Liverpool are playing, they do, they do look tired and, and, and probably do need a break. And I understand he's going to get criticism and the criticism will be fair in a lot of cases as well because, you know, I, I, I think that underlying all of this, it, it comes down to money as ever. Um, you know, when, when Jürgen Klopp became Liverpool's manager, 
you know, well, you, you've got to think before that, actually. You know, the fact that Kenny Dalglish got to two domestic cup finals, won one of them and lo- lost the other one narrowly. And it wasn't enough to save his job. So it shows you exactly how FSG viewed the domestic cups. I think if the domestic cups were yielding, you know, uh, tens of millions of pounds in revenues, then they might be taking a slightly different stance on this. But as it is, it doesn't. So it's just relying on its prestige and history as a competition. Um, yeah, and Klopp came into the club knowing this. You know, the, the priority from day one was getting the club back into the Champions League and p- competitive in Europe again. Domestic cup competitions just didn't register on that on that priority list. So that is bubbling under the surface with in the conversation which is going on at Liverpool. I mean, I, I was obviously read James's piece, and I know he, he's obviously spoken to to the owners. There would have been no pushback from them on this, <laughs> no. none at all. I mean, the one thing I will say is and. I remember last summer, after they won the Champions League, um, speaking to some of the ownership group, and I was quite surprised actually by the way they they, they sort of said this because I was I was obviously talking about the league and got to get the league now. You know, it's got to be a big push for the league, and they were like straight away, no, actually, we want to do the Champions League and the Premier League. You know, that that was a they actually say I was quite taken aback by that open ambition because it would have been easy for them to say well yeah you know but they were actually saying we want to do both so that clearly is on the main thing for Liverpool now you know the Champions League the league I think people are sort of thinking with the Champions League well it doesn't matter too much because they're doing so well in the league but there's an ambition from inside the club to win both now does the FA Cup get in the way of the possibility of that happening it probably does because of the potential of replays and everything well, else. Well, it clearly does, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. So I can understand Liverpool's point of view. I can understand the criticism that he's going to get. I think the problem that Jürgen has, certainly, is obviously not being there himself. And, you know, the media are going to follow him around now to see where he is. So this idea of having a break somewhere, he's going to be getting photographed everywhere. Yeah, so, you, you know, so Jürgen's on a... Look, we don't know if it's a holiday, but yeah. but we know they they won't be at the football ground because yeah. he can't just sit in the stands, can he? can't yeah. say I'm having a break, but I'll watch up there. Yeah. So wherever Jürgen goes, that's going to be the, the big press story, is it? Yeah, I think so, because I think that that is the biggest thing from this, isn't it? I think I, I kind of understand his argument that he told the players two, three weeks ago, you will all have a week week's break. Now, I said to Klopp how, yesterday, how long are they having off? And he took offence at the use of the word off and said, they're not off. He said, it's it's a week away from Melwood, he said, but they each get individually tailored training programmes. He said, you know, they can go wherever they want in the world with their families, but, you know, they it won't, it's not just put your feet up for a week, you know, um, which, you know, and I think, as Simon said, with the people, some people will say, with Liverpool so far ahead in the Premier League, you know, why can they not show a bit more respect to the to the FA Cup? But I think the the reply to that would be well because he feels that Liverpool are feeling the effects of a long season and yes they've got that cushion in the Premier League but they've also got a huge Champions League tie against Atletico Madrid coming up you know not long after that that I think was it three first leg three or four days after that trip to Norwich so I think that will be that will be in his in his thinking and and if the, if the fact that Liverpool under twenty threes are playing Shrewsbury Town and Neil Critchley's managing Liverpool on TV in front of, a, you, know, a, you know, millions, tens of millions all around the world, you know, that feeling that that should embarrass the FA into into taking action. You know, what on, why on earth would this fixture scheduled now? And if you've got a problem with it, Klopp would say, this is of the FA's own making, not, not Liverpool. So it's simply a case of embarrassing the Well, I think, I mean, the I, th- I, I think it's just him wanting to shine a light on yeah. on where we're up to. I mean, it was... But believing you know, that it will have any effect? Well, I think I think he's, he feels that he... That is like what else? What else can he do? Because he talks and talks, and he says, you know, he was. I was at Melwood the other week, and I actually asked him about the the decision to move the Africa Cup of Nations from the summer tournament back to mm. the winter and the implications for Liverpool. And he spoke for seven and a half minutes solidly about, you know, the the the, the craziness in his his mind of the of the schedule and the fact that you know Sadio Mane has had two weeks off in eighteen months and. You know, and I think he described himself. He said, "I know what people will say. The Mona from Liverpool is at it again. All he does is, you know, he's, he talks and talks." But he said, "You know, in t- you know, I'm sick to death of the, all that happens with the schedule. Is more and more problems are created. There's never any solutions." I think the one thing that doesn't sit quite right with me is is the fact that I think he's got half a dozen senior players who would actually benefit from being involved in that replay, because I, you know, you look at the minutes that. People like Shakiri, uh, you know, Lalana, Keita, 
I mean, do these players, you know, Fabinho looks so rusty in the, you know, and Lovren, Matip, you know, do they really need a week's break? So Simon, he could have split it up. He, he essentially could have said some of the players aren't going to be there. Yeah. Others are. I mean, look, if you're Dejan Lovren, you can hardly complain about, about being asked to stay and be involved in that sort of game, can you? When, when you see it in that context, it, it proves that he's just trying to make a point. Mm. He's def- definitely trying to make... It's actually not probably beneficial for him, really. Although, you know, you could say that throughout the course of the season, players of, you know, Liverpool, because of the physical demands on, on the players, that I think... People are forgetting actually that they have had quite a lot of injuries this season. You know, everybody keeps on saying, "Oh, well, what if they get a big injury?" They've had big injuries throughout the course of the season. They've had the goalkeeper missing for two months. They have Fabinho, yeah. arguably the best Premier League midfielder, missing for what is it, two months? They've had lots of other players picking up injuries. So maybe he does think, maybe he does actually think, you know, that you know, actually these players do need a rest because if we're going to go for the league and the Champions League, and we're going to try and you know win the league in the fashion that people are expecting to, that they're going to be needed at some point coming in and out the team. I mean, the, the one the one thing that I sort of find a little bit interesting hasn't really been debated too much is, you know, last summer they went on a, a massive preseason tour, really a massive preseason commitments. You know, Liverpool are quite Premier League clubs are quite prepared to, you know, have big preseasons and travel across the world and you know, make the players work over the summer when they could be resting then. I mean, whether it's whether they'd be ready for the Premier League, you know, whether Klopp feels that that is needed to get them up to a level of fitness. Now, next summer, it's quite interesting. It seems like Liverpool aren't going to be doing quite as big a pre-season in terms of travelling, you know, far east. It looks like it's going to be European-based. So there's that conversation to have as well. Clubs seem to be quite prepared to, you know, go the extra mile and, and do, you know, do extra miles when there's big cash incentives at the end of it. The FA Cup, as I say, if the FA Cup was more lucrative, there is no doubt about it that Liverpool would not be reaching this decision, I think. You know, I think it does underline everything else come down to more. Or if the, or if the FA Cup offered a route into the Champions League. Well, there's that possibility as well. You know, well, yeah. is that a future saviour for the cup competition? Who knows? Yeah. And there are players, I mean, I mentioned Lovren, there's players like Curtis Jones or Adrian. Where, where do you deem them on the, on the scale? When he's talking about... A group of academy players playing. He calls them kids, doesn't he? Where, yeah. Where's the cutoff well, point for this? I mean, Anyone who's buying a ticket for Anfield, you know what? What are you expecting to see? Yeah, well, I think I think Adrian you'd include as a senior player. I'd imagine Kelleher would would you know, play, would, right? would play, and then yeah, I suppose the grey area is Curtis Jones, you know Harvey. I think I think surely Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, Nico Williams. You know, I, I know, I know they've been at Melwood for a while now, but surely they stay. You know what? what mm. Like, if you're them, you know that is going to be a short conversation, isn't it? If their opinion is asked, do you want to play? You know, which it'll still be a full house at Anfield. I'm sure it will be. You know, it, you know, a, a week on Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm sure the answer would be, yeah, yes, please. I don't, want, I don't want a week off. I think go, going back to why he hasn't, why he won't divvy up his resources. I think, I think it also is linked to. Of course, the same conversation that was had before the Club World Cup, when it became apparent that that was going to clash with the the Carabao Cup, and you know, it was, initially Klopp wasn't as outspoken then as he as even though I think privately he'd made that decision then that he would not divide up the squad and he would take everyone to Qatar. It was only much closer to the time that he actually kind of made things public. Well, in contrast, yesterday, you know, he was very open about his plan. He wanted to make that point. I think. In his head, I think he would think it would be very tough to sell to certain players that you deserve a week off, you not so much, you you hang around because I think he's so big on this. We're everyone's equal, you know. We're all in yeah, it. We're all in sense. it. We're all in it together. Nobody is more important than anyone else, and that that unity and camaraderie. I think I think in his head, similar to why he couldn't really say to four or five of them, "Do you mind hanging back and playing against Villa and then getting the getting the flight out." because I don't really need you against Monterey. I think similarly, he feels like he couldn't really do the same for this this replay. But you know, I think the thing that nags away at me is, you know, Liverpool could win the treble this season. And I know, I know the FA Cup isn't what it once was. And it, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into this. Oh my God, he's disrespecting the the greatest cup competition in the world because it's not anymore. Is it's simply not. But it's still worth winning. And I would have preferred four, five or six senior players were out there because you know, suddenly, I don't, we, don't, we don't know yet who Liverpool have got in the draw for the last 16, but you know, there's a fair few Premier League teams that have gone out already. You know, you get a decent home tie, suddenly you're in the quarterfinals. 
and you know emulating United's treble in 1999 isn't isn't a, a pipe dream anymore. And wh- when can you judge this, Simon, as to whether it's the correct course of action to take? Is is there any? Yeah. I mean, obviously, maybe if they won won a double, maybe imagine if they went on to win the FA Cup from this situation, it'd be almost laughable, wouldn't it? Mm. But, but can you judge it or not to say it's, he's done the right thing, I or think... will it only be known in future years once we see a winter break permanently solidified? Well, I suppose it depends where you're coming from, doesn't it? So if you're a Liverpool supporter and Liverpool were to say, I don't know, clinch the league title at Goodison Park, I don't think you're going to be thinking, <laughs> oh, we got knocked out the FA Cup by Shrewsbury at home with an under-23 team. You know, if it contributes towards that scenario, mm. then people are going to be yeah. remember that forever. If it contribute, if, if it makes it, gives Liverpool a better chance of, I don't know, going this whole season unbeaten in the league, which, I mean, I, I keep on talking about it with James and my mates, you know, is it... Like it keeps on, keep just keep on winning, don't they? So there's not that much of the season left to left to play. You know, you, you see the next month of fixtures after they get past West Ham. Each game is a winnable game, really. Yeah. Well, uh, well, a winnable, of course, it's a winnable game. But each game they should be winning reasonably. What well. it's all a tough run of fixtures. So then suddenly you're into March. It's only two months of the season to go. So I think that you know, if Liverpool were to win the league in any way, I mean, just winning the league alone. Let's not forget here. Liverpool are on the verge of winning the league for the first time in 30 years. That, from a Liverpool point of view, if you're a Liverpool supporter, if you've got any interest in Liverpool, that transcend that that means more than anything else that happens this season. Um, but I can understand the conversation, the criticism that he's going to get at it from certain levels. If you if you're just looking at the interests of the FA Cup or you're looking at the interests of football or just actually want to, a lot of people just want to have a dig at Liverpool. There's a lot of people who actually. Mm. At this moment in time, are looking for for Jurgen Klopp to do something wrong, aren't they? So it's yeah. it's 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 a big opportunity to have a bit of a dig in. I've noticed a few few people who've sort of sat quietly with the hands, you know, on on the bum, waiting for something to happen. And obviously, this is a decision that they, they could. I don't think it's going to backfire, but I think it's given them it's given people an opportunity to have a go at them. Yeah, it's um, man from heaven, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So, been waiting. It's 100%. an unnecessary negative conversation. I, I think it? so. I think so. I mean, I I personally think. You know, if Liverpool were to win the league and the Champions League, I mean, I know obviously they've got a lot of games, they've got to win in the Champions League, it's a big ask. But they've got a chance, haven't they? You know, if they were to win those two competitions, it's not going to make up for it. It's going to just totally people forget about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Even if Liverpool win the league, you know, it doesn't really matter. Liverpool, you know, have gone so long without winning the league. It's just caused they're on this march towards towards it and it's making they're making it look easy. That should not uh take away from the achievements and if they do it this season and the FA Cup has to fall by the wayside and he got knocked out by Shrewsbury at home with an under-23 team then then so be it I, I don't think people are going to be remembering it for that long we, we shouldn't forget the bit of magic that Shrewsbury enjoyed themselves to come back from 2-0 yeah. against Liverpool well what were some of the talking points or discussions at the end of that game obviously you were there watching yeah, that yeah, FA I was Cup there. I mean, from a Liverpool perspective God, well, I think with the benefit of hindsight Liverpool had too many senior players in key positions who were so so rusty I think you know the two centre halves were absolutely all over the shop in that in that mm. second half I mean you know Lovren and Matip you know they aren't mugs they've both performed really well and contributed to this Premier League title procession earlier on in the season but I've never really fancied them together as a partnership and certainly not when neither of them have played any football for a, for a few months because you know they, it was one of them, they, they were both so erratic and made so many careless mistakes. They seemed to just you know send jitters through the team and Fabino looked really kind of sluggish, you know, a, a million miles away from, you know, just how classy we know he is when, mm. you know, but you've got to factor in the fact that obviously he's missed an awful lot of football in the last two, three months. So Origi as well, I thought was really, really poor. It was, it was the senior players that let Liverpool mm. down. I thought the youngsters could hold their heads high again. Curtis Jones, you know, took his goal brilliantly, you know, wonderful pass from Pe- Pedro Chirivella. And, and then when they get the gift, you know, one of the most ridiculous own goals you'll ever see, what, 30 seconds into the second half. I think like most people, you're sat there thinking, well, that's, that's game over. You know, kill the tie. We've we've said all season how good are Liverpool at managing games, just taking the sting out of it, looking after the ball. But it, it was it really was a throwback to like four or five years ago. Just <laughs> just seeing the panic set in, and just it was just it was just ridiculous. I mean, you could you could sense it coming. And then once they got one, I think everyone in that ground almost felt that they'll get two. And they they probably should have won it in the end. Shrewsbury in the end, you could make a 
a claim for the fact that Liverpool were were, were lucky to still be in the, the cup competition. And, you know, the fact that Klopp chucked on Salah and Firmino late on, having already chucked on Oxlade-Chamberlain, mm. you know, that kind of laid bare that he was desperate for that not to... Not you know I was I was almost expecting to take off Adrian and bring on bring on Salah I thought just to just to try and ensure that there was a a winner one way or another but um and I think I think that's also when you obviously we're looking at this purely from a Liverpool perspective but you also have to factor in you know I know Klopp has went went on record recently as saying replays should be scrapped completely you know if you want to give the give the lower league team home advantage but it should always go to penalties after ninety minutes well. I'm not sure when when you see the joy on the faces of those fans' faces yesterday, you know, and what was a pretty good-natured pitch invasion, and you know, the, there was some, you know, probably six or seven fellas in their sixties sat in the row in front of me, and just you know them going, I can't believe we're off to Anfield. Can you believe that's what, what it's gonna... all about? Isn't and it's it? like, yeah, and it's... it's sometimes when you're in that Premier League bubble, you know, sometimes it's only when you see something like that you think, actually, yeah, you know what. And anyway, I saw some quotes from Sam Ricketts, their manager, saying by taking Liverpool to a replay, it'll enable them to buy video analysis equipment they've never had and to put new drainage in for all their training pitches and stuff. So it's, I think you have to be a bit careful just to say, oh, replays are a nonsense because, you know, try telling that to those thousands of Shrewsbury fans who had one of the best days of their lives and now they're, you know, counting down the days to, to what what will be another great one. Shevchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Dude. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yes! 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 European champions! Jersey Dudek with a penalty save! Right, this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. Uh, Simon Hughes, James Pearce here with myself, Steve Hoversall. Uh, still to come, we're going to have a look at Mo Salah and his footballing journey, and we'll answer some of your questions. Loads of them have been uh, coming in, some fascinating uh, thoughts, so we'll try and get through as many as possible. Uh, this Athletic podcast brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service taking the hard work out of dressing well. Get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Fill in your style quiz, tell us about your personal style, your budget, your size, your shape and your clothing needs. And a personal stylist will send you five items of clothing. Each are hand-picked especially for you. There's uh, over 100 brands, including established names, up-and-coming designers. You can try everything on at home. Style with other things in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you like and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of a tenner. That's deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Uh, remember, you try before you buy at home and uh, delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription. So Stitch Fix will save you some time and you'll enjoy some top styling tips from experts. Uh, get started, head to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. This is the red agenda. Simon's got his hands pumping the air. He's well up for this today <laughs> on his return to the podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about Mo Salah. Uh, Jurgen wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to use him um, against Shrewsbury, but he did. Very nearly scored with a header, didn't he? Um, you took a really fascinating look at the making of Mo Salah. In fact, you were absent from these shores for a while. No one knew where you were. <laughs> Months got lost. <laughs> you were stuck on a bus in Cairo. Yeah. Um, what were you trying to establish for people who haven't seen the article? Yeah, so, I mean, a, a few years ago, obviously when Salah started scoring all the goals for Liverpool, quite a few journalists went over to Cairo and, and told bits of his story, I guess, about like sort of the, the, the path that he'd been on with speaking to various coaches. And I remember reading at the time, you know, they used to, take a micro bus from Nagrig where he lives which is about 90 to 100 miles away from Cairo to Cairo and back every day and he used to have to take three or four micro buses depending on the time well there aren't any timetables depending on the availability just to get to training so he'd sometimes be in you know in a in a micro bus which I must define what one of these micro buses is it's 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 I think I've described it it's like a a kind of luncheon meet with wheels, basically. It's just a tiny little shed of a van. Chocker full of yeah, people. Yeah, with, with a ridiculous number of people and very cheap. So he used to spend a lot of time in, you know, in, in traffic and, and on the roads just to try and get to training, you know, just to just give himself half a chance of becoming a footballer. And sometimes, he, you know, he'd set off um, sort of uh, mid-morning and not come back until, you know, bef well before midnight, then make the same journey again the, the day after. So... Uh, I, I went there with the idea of recreating this journey to try and, you know, really understand, I guess, I don't want to say sacrifices because I think he was acutely aware of 
of what he could achieve if if he got through the if he if he managed to become a footballer, um, and he was desperate to sort of you know not get away from that Greg, but but obviously to experience something that would be on the boundaries of most people in, in Nagrig. So I went from Cairo to Nagrig and back and and um, recreated that journey. And it's not just about sort of the um, the journey. It was I met a lot of people who who'd helped shape his early career, whether it's in Nagrig or in Cairo as, as youth coaches or scouts who'd spotted him and stuff like that. So hopefully people will get a full picture of, of where he came from. Um, and the, I guess essentially, the challenge... it's not been an easy journey for no, him, it hasn't. Has it? it hasn't. I mean, people sort of you sort of think, well, ninety miles is not that far, you know. But until you actually go to Africa or Egypt and realise just how mad a place it is, you know, I, it was a draining experience for you know. I'm thirty. What, not just on the bus. Yeah, well, we, just we being in Cairo, the fa- bus, trying it? to find. You know, I can imagine as a twelve-year-old boy, he did this for for a year. What it must be like for somebody to go from Nagrig, which is a, essentially a small village in the middle of the countryside, to Cairo, which is one of the biggest cities in the world, and do that sometimes by himself. He more often than not had a had a had a guardian or a brother or sister who went along with him, or a coach, because they valued him very highly. But yeah, I mean, it's it was a uh, it was an overwhelming experience really, just to see how you know when you think about sort of Premier League footballs and academy football and how how much assistance I guess. You know, play young players in this country get there was not none of that for him. You know, he had to, you know, see through that. And 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 there were times I think when he was close to giving up. You know, when his progress wasn't quite as quick as he thought it would be. It's a massive, enormous challenge for him to go from what a very, very humble beginnings in in a very small countryside town to where he is now, which is a, you know a a global icon really for African footballers. You know, he's. He's the biggest African footballer on the planet, but probably besides Sadio Mane at the moment. And their, their paths are quite similar, actually. I think. Um, and you, you know, I mean, you both spent time with him. Do you do you find that his personality reflects maybe that path, James? Do you, you know, in terms of what you're hearing from Simon there? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I mean, he doesn't. Mo doesn't do an awful lot of media work. The um, yeah. usually you get a lovely smile off him and a no, you're okay when you ask him to stop in mix zones, but. Um, no, I think Simon's piece and what he said then just you know it opens your eyes really to you know you you think you, you think that it's you know there's there's so much more than talent isn't there that that has got that gets players to to the level they're at now the you know the the things they've had to give up you know what they've been through along the way especially you know the likes of Salah and Amane and uh, you know I think I think it is those individual journeys as well that that makes this Liverpool team so so special because there's mm. so many of them have got. You know, backstories like that. I remember doing a sit down with Jeannie Wijnaldum a few years ago, and you know him talking about his elderly grandmother. You know, walking him. You know, uh, you know, I think he he had like you know an hour, hour and a half walk to the training ground most days, and you know the the things that he you know had had to go through to to fight to make it. And you know, Dayan Lovren's got the same yeah. last night. The LFC TV yeah. did an yeah, incredible yeah. documentary on yeah. him, and you know, life as a as a refugee, and yeah, I mean, he's talked very openly about you know had a really really testing difficult childhood you know you know how he used to get bullied because you know he didn't speak the same as the other kids and you know so things like that really mold you mold mm. you as a character then you and i think you know andy robertson you know you look at you know where where he's come from to where he's at in terms of you know being released by celtic and being told you know you're too short you're never going to make it and knocking around in the scottish third division Virgil even had his yeah. own troubles, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, so yeah. It, con- yeah. it contributes towards this feeling at Liverpool at the moment. I think Jurgen Klopp and the you know the scouting team of, you know, I'm sure they absolutely appreciate all these things. You know, because I think it explains the determination to do so well in the careers and at this moment in time. You know, be so motivated. I mean, the the one thing it's funny James mentions. I think Salah has stopped in the mix zone. Once in his three seasons at Liverpool, is that right? Yeah. yeah so for people who don't know what a mix zone yeah. is, after a match, you stand there as reporters, and the players have to pass you by, and you ask yeah. them for an interview. Yeah. So Sal- Salah, I think in his first season, it got to forty goals, and we were like saying, I think when he got, yeah, when yeah. he got to thirty, he said, was "Come on, Murray, surely you're going to have to stop." You got thirty goals, and he said, "I'll tell you what, if I get to forty, then I'll stop." Yeah. And to be fair to him, he did. He, he did, did keep his word. I think he obviously thought at the time, "I won't get to forty, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's completely irrelevant." Yeah. But, um, but once he did, he did get to forty. He did, he did stop and give us a few minutes. It's an trade off. You know, he, he come across as a, a pretty, you know, a nice fella, really. You know, yeah. sort of quite, you know, didn't take things that seriously. You know, he's sort of you can see why players yeah. would like him. But the, the one thing that I sort of really 
began to understood understand more when I went to Egypt is, you know, the amount of pressure that he's under there. You know, as 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 a, I don't think it's an easy time to be a a, a sporting great in a country which is essentially a dictatorship at the moment. You know, yeah. the, the, we saw that under, with the World Cup, didn't we? The way yeah. he was being used was like a political pawn and. Pe- people grabbing him for photos, and yeah. suddenly he found himself in all kinds of storms, didn't he? There were none of his making. And... Definitely, he, he he is acutely aware, it seems, that of his status and how he needs to be in control of how what happens to him and what happens around him. As James just said there, you know that that was an example of it. I think, as well, like sort of we in Europe, we probably don't appreciate just what a big big a football country Egypt is. I mean, it's. It is a national obsession, you know, to the point where I'd actually say, from my experience of going there, it's probably greater obsession in Egypt than it is in the UK. I know it's difficult to be definitive about it, but I'll give you an example of why. I remember going to, I spent a lot of time at Al Akli Football Club, who are probably one of the biggest football, well, they are the biggest football club there in Zamalek. And, you know, they've got three major footballing centres across Cairo and the massive sprawling complexes where, you know, uh, supporters and, and, and um, you know people who've got memberships with the club can go and use the sports facilities. Mm. Really community-based atmosphere. There's football going on everywhere. You know, I was there was you know dozens and dozens of pitches. That's just Al Ackley. You know that all these clubs have similar sort of you know working environments. Every bar that you go into, football on all the time. You know, Premier League football, Italian football. You know, absolute obsession. So everybody's got an opinion on Mo Salah. You know, he's despite him being the you know he's the biggest footballer in that country at the moment at a time of change, and there's so much pressure on him, and um, that really just shone through. You know, I, I it was difficult to get into to Egypt as a as a country because as a journalist because they want to know what you're up to. You know what I mean? And I felt a constant sense when I was there being you know we were sort of you had to be careful what you did. And who you spoke to, and how you said certain things, particularly holding conversations about the government and the way it's run. So you can only imagine what it's like for Mo Salah. You know, he's got to be tread very carefully, and 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 be careful who he aligns himself with, because um, I think the one thing that he has is different to him is that he never played for one of Egypt's big football clubs, Zamalek and El Akli. So it means that he sort of appeals to everybody, really. You know, he's a, he's an everyman for the Egyptian public, and uh, he's a different sort of footballer that. You know, I remember speaking to quite a few of the, the players who'd, who'd shared changing rooms with him at El Mokluwu in the club that he came from. And they were saying he was just different to everybody else. He'd he'd seen in Europe the way footballers were in terms of physical development, you know, the way Cristiano Ronaldo takes his top off and he look, you know, the way he looks, you know. It didn't surprise me against the Man- Manchester United when mm. he whips his top off and he's showing look at his off physique his, now. Yeah, he, well, he, he, I think he wants to show that off, yeah. I think. He's showing that he's different to everybody else. Like the, all the footballers were saying, the diet of Egyptian footballers is terrible. Pl- players will just still eat. You know, <laughs> give like, me his diet any day. Yeah, yeah, like in the in the nineteen eighties in England. You know, that, that's how they sort of approach it. There, he was different. He saw the way it was going. So, you know, he's got his own views as well. It seems you know he sees things differently and is prepared mm. to follow his conscience in a way that maybe players won't. And it's quite interesting actually because obviously he scored. The goal against Man United, we put the piece out after that. Um, you know, and then within a couple of days, they're playing against Wolves. And people were like, sort of, is, the expectations on him are just insane. You know, yeah. people judging, like, he, oh, he missed chances against Wolves. Jürgen Klopp keeps him on all the time. He, he's the one, more or less, who stays on the pitch. Klopp, you know, trusts him totally. Uh, and, he, 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 you know, he, he kept that, that ball alive against Wolves for them to score the winner in the last, last couple of minutes. And... You know, he's still having... I think his game's changed since he's been in England as well. I think that's been partly, you know, teams learning how to play against him. Partly Klopp, the evolution of the Liverpool team. Klopp trying to find different solutions to to find different threats. I think his work rate's increased. I know a lot of people in Egypt were saying to me, you think he's fast now? You should have seen how fast he was as a kid. I mean, they were saying he slowed dramatically, but they're also saying he's learned the game more, so he knows that he doesn't always have to use his pace to... To, to find himself in to get himself into a position where he's going to score so fascinating you know I went to a, when I was in Nagrig and met the, the mayor of Nagrig who you know um, very hospitable lovely people the Egyptians I know there's a lot being written about Egypt about the safety in the country I, I, I can only you know say it as I saw it and the people couldn't have been any more welcoming you know just really lovely people and I think Salah there's a big expectation on Salah to remain. You know what people want to see footballers in this country remain true to the roots and humble. It's and even it's more the, it's so in Egypt, with, even with bigger in Egypt. Yeah. If, you, if you want the full Salah story, brilliant piece of writing. Have a look um, at theathletic.com.
and uh, the Liverpool section in particular. Simon Spieth's well worth um, a look at. Lisa puts it back into the box. Header on goal. goal! Oh, he's got it! And the captain has delivered a blow to AC Milan. They may be three goals down, Liverpool, but Steven Gerrard has urged the thousands of Reds fans inside here to get to their feet. A headed goal from the captain. Right, mentioned at the start of the show, so Liverpool could be 22 points ahead of Man City before City next play. And that is helped by the victory over Wolves, the late show uh, against Wolves. I mean, you know, we talked last week about singing we're going gonna to win the league. It's becoming a little bit, little bit silly, isn't it, in terms of the, the points margin that could exist, James? Oh, it's, it is crazy, isn't it? And I think, um, it, I think obviously with the the game in hand this Wednesday, this Wednesday against West Ham, and then playing Southampton at home on the, on the weekend, yeah, that gap could be twenty two points before City walk out to to play Tottenham on Sunday. And yeah, the Wolves Wolves away felt like another, you know, massive massive step towards where this Liverpool team are heading because that was certainly that second half was was as big a grilling as as Liverpool's strongest eleven has had all season. Um Wolves are a, a real top notch team um and exerted an awful lot of pressure, deservedly got back level. Um but I mean again this Liverpool team can win games in so many different ways, can't they? They um you know, they again. It was one of those ones where they dug deep when their backs were against the wall. The resilience came to the fore. It helps when you got the best goalkeeper in world football, and Allison, who made two massive saves. Um, and then, you know, even Firmino, you know, epitomised that 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 spirit. The fact that you know he missed a really presentable chance just probably 30, 40 seconds before he um, he latched onto Henderson's pass and and absolutely nailed it. And uh, there's been so many massive massive nights over the course of this season but that was that was right up there because again it was like a real tough examination yet Liverpool emerged triumphant you've got to admire what the Wolves manager Nuno Espirito Santo did in that game because he tactically thought we're not just going to sit here yeah we're going to have a little bit of go- bit of a go at this game we're going to try and disrupt the Liverpool game plan and it did cause Liverpool some problems yeah the second half it did I thought the first half Liverpool were largely in control. I remember I was sitting next to James, boring him to death, and telling him, <laughs> I said, if Liverpool just up at 5% here, they, they'll win 2 or 3 nil." But then at half-time, he, he sort of switched to Traore's position because he was mm. playing more centrally, put him out wide. It's the first game where I've seen Andy Robertson actually struggle a bit. He, yeah. he, he found that mm. hard going. I mean, uh, Traore's a fascinating player, I, I think, because he... he there's not many players like him really anymore, is he? You know, yeah. absolute, you know, the speed on him, the power, you know, his, his crossing ability. He put two perfect crosses in. Finishing-wise, I think he obviously can improve, but he's still only quite a young player. And he was he was the focal point for that recovery of the team. But they're a very good side, Wolves. And I think that they, they've got a, they've actually got an outside chance. I think if they weren't actually in the Europa League, they'd, they'd have a fair chance of getting into the Champions League this season based on the struggles of the teams above them. And... I think, as James says, it showed. I just think Liverpool now that, even when it seems like they might lose, you know, you still wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't back, you know, bet against them really because that was the closest they've come to losing. I think this season, even like people will say, well, the Man United game they were behind for a long time and they weren't behind against Wolves, but Wolves actually gave them a really good going over. And I think that, as James said, that the goalkeeper, just forget how what a what a goalkeeper he is. I mean, he's. You're paying your goalkeepers to make saves, aren't you? First and foremost, and stay strong, and that's what he's great at, Alison. I think just you know he knows how to use his body. He's got a he's a physical you know. Aside from people talk about the ball at his feet, you know he makes two top quality saves in pressure moments in the second half, which a couple of seasons ago we would have seen mm. perhaps Liverpool lose that game from that point on. But I think. Um, you know, it's another different, a different sort of way of winning. Liverpool haven't been ahead too many games this season, then being pegged back, and then had to go and find a way to win the game. You know, it's tended to be, you know, they've even been behind a few times, and you know, it was a different pattern the way the that game went. So to find a way to win, and particularly after, for be uh, for me, you know, misses a chance, I think, oh, you know, it's not going to be their night, and they still go back for more. I think really encouraging. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just think if you're the city. Uh, City fan or City player or manager and you're watching Liverpool win that game you're going to feel a long long way behind them now (laughs)
Of course you are. Do, um, were they singing? You're going to win the league at the game off at the Wolves game. We're going to win the league. I saw some footage of yeah. Liverpool fans leaving the ground singing it. Not I yeah. think in, actually in no. in in the ground. Just I wondering think, whether it's going to become a regular thing. Yeah, now, or think, whether that was like a one-off thing I for the Manchester that, United it was game. Just that, that that switch wasn't it? The yeah. outpouring of emotion when that goal went in against United. I think. Um, I think I don't think it'll be too long before it's sung repeatedly mm. um, at, at Anfield. I think. Uh, I suppose the other things to take away from that game was again. The attention to detail, the fact that you know the first goal comes from a set piece, you know, all the work that Liverpool do in that department. How many assists for Trent again. now? Oh, it's something outrageous, isn't it? I think certainly it was that six goals created from dead ball situations, which is more than any other player in Europe's five major mm. European leagues this season. I think he's got, he's got more assists than anyone else since the start of the last Premier League. I think it's twenty three. I think Premier League wise, um, sixteen Premier League assists between him and Robertson. Um, at the moment, um, and even even the second goal, you know, it, it comes from a throw-in. Um, you know, I saw some footage online the other day of Steve Nichol kind of mocking, you know, the presence of Thomas Gronemark, the throwing coach, and it's just, I just think it's ridiculous, isn't it? Because it's, you know, are we still having conversations about that? You know, you it's there for you to see with your own eyes, just how, you know, the the work that they that the Liverpool do. You know, do you really think an elite manager like Klopp would keep someone? Like Gronemark around if he didn't think he was adding value to his backroom staff. Um, and again, you know, I thought that was the thing that struck me. One from, well, you know, both goals from from things that Liverpool pay an awful lot of attention to. And the other thing was Joe Gomez was absolutely immense on the night. And I think um, you know his his kind of resurgence has maybe gone under the radar a little bit because he had a real torrid few months at the start of the season when you know he he was in that position where he needed games to really get back into the swing of things, but he wasn't playing well enough to to merit a run in the team and Matip was playing so well. Then he had the thing away on England duty where he got attacked by Raheem Sterling and then booed on by England fans. And you know, he's quite a sensitive soul, Joe Gomez, and you know that would have hurt him. Um, so he's had to be patient. You know, He didn't start, I think you know, he started the opening league game against Norwich, didn't start again till Bournemouth in December. But since then, he's been ever-present and he's he's back now to his absolute brilliant best. Yeah, and all the stats that go around him and his appearances are absolutely top-notch. Right, it's, it's a nice link from there into our LFC uh, inbox. We're going to try and do this as often as we can on the Red Agenda. So, uh, James and Simon answering some of your questions out there. So, we, we just threw this out today to see what was on your mind. Um, so, let's, let's not labour on every one of these because we've got <laughs> quite a few different ones to go through. So, we'll start with Tom Evans who says, uh, do you think Liverpool may dip next season? Like, <laughs> like, Let's on a positive like City have done this season. I'm just wondering about his mindset here, especially after the Euros. Or do you believe Liverpool will keep up this incredible level that they have produced? So he is trying to be positive. I suppose he's just, it's a little bit of that sort of fear factor, that worry that we're seeing the very best or something, but <laughs> but but will it keep going? I mean, I, I've got to be honest, I haven't given that too much thought. No. But... There you know, has to be a dip, uh, doesn't there? I mean, this is this yeah. is like unprecedented in the history of the game. I would be absolutely astonished if there wasn't a bit of a bit of a dip next what, season. What qualifies a dip? Well, you know, like we're not, not first. Liverpool aren't first, or they just not, don't win as many games. Yeah, no, not, they just lose yeah, one just game. Lose one game. <laughs> Are yeah. they going to get to the end of January next year? Yeah. Having only dropped two points all season. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, I suppose he compares it to Man City, which there has been, you know, a, a dip. You know, losing. Actually, that hasn't been a massive dip. It's not dip, a remarkable yeah, it's not dip, a massive dip. Yeah, I, I just think, you think about Jürgen Klopp's mindset, he's just signed a new contract. If he didn't think that Liverpool continue, yeah. could continue the culture of success. I think Man, Man City are obviously going to get better mm. next season, so they're going to have to sign some players, you know, they're losing David Silva as well, aren't they? So, I don't know, I think there's going to I don't. I'd be very, 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 very surprised if they won the number of games that they won this season. I mean, it's just, as James says, it's unprecedented... People think people. It's just happening in front of our eyes. I'm so Sam is predicting a dip here. A dip. <laughs> it could be a dip. The most be mild of dips. I think. Yeah. yeah I, I would go. But Liverpool will. I've got no doubt that they will be right up there. Right. You know, competing to retain their Premier League crown next season because you know you look at the age range of this team as well, and the vast majority of them, their best years are still you know ahead of them. You know, this isn't. You don't look at this team and think, oh God, you know, there's there's a few in this team who have who are other other side of the hill and. You know, need you need to think about replacing them. You know, this is this is a team tailor made for success for the next two, three, four years at least. Right, here's a great one from Yaf. Um, he sent in a full article talking about Europe's net spends. 
So um, he's obviously enjoying looking at what the different teams have got uh, in terms of what they've brought in, what they've sold and, and their net spend. Uh, so the biggest spender is, surprise, surprise, Manchester City. <laughs> so they come top of the pile, £668.6 million. Pounds. Uh, and this is on a, a table of Europe's biggest net spend since 2015. Liverpool actually come in on this table at 29th. I suppose it emphasises that money doesn't buy you success, although Manchester City, City have had some success. Um, the top five teams, Man City have spent £668 million, United £483 million, Paris Saint-Germain £444 million, AC Milan £409 million, and Barcelona £337 million. Not all of them have had the success levels they would have wanted. What, what does this table emphasise to you if Liverpool are 29th on it? Well, we were discussing this a little bit before the show started, and... As James says, I mean, it used to be the thing, sort of thing that some critics of Liverpool would use to, to beat them with. You know, they're not spending enough. But then when you get ahead of the pack, it's something to shout about as a positive, isn't it? So I um, ultimately, I mean, I, I, I think that the, the Coutinho transfer really is the one that unlocks the possibility of this happening. Now, I remember at the time when he um, he left Liverpool, I was very concerned because thought, you know, here we go again, Liverpool losing the best players to Barcelona, Real Madrid, whatever. You know, how did he react to that? So they had to get the signings right, obviously. I mean, without Coutinho going, they don't get... Well, they probably still do get Van Dijk, don't they? Yeah. They probably still do get Van Dijk, but I wouldn't say that they get Alisson, who yeah. is just as, just as an important signing as Van Dijk, as far as I'm... I know Van Dijk kicks off Liverpool being a, a better team, but if you look at it, you know, there's only so much you can do when... You've got Loris Karius in goal and Liverpool lose the European Cup final essentially because mm. of him. There's no other way about it. So I think, you know, it does prove that Liverpool, you can, not You can obviously, if you if you work the transfer market for your own ends, it can work. But what we also have to remember is I think that Liverpool, I think, have underachieved, considered the size of the club for a long period of time, really. When I say underachieved, there needs to be context because of where they come from in 2000 mm. and nine ten. So been a long way back. But Liverpool really, the size of the club, the history of the club, should be near to where they are now. Not like saying where I think they're overachieving now because for all the reasons we just discussed, you know, the the obviously an unbelievable season, winning all these games. But I think it's what it shows is that for the size of your club, you can make the transfer market work for you if you trade well. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean yeah. that yeah it doesn't mean that, you know, Southampton have traded well but it hasn't got them, you know, right up the league. Liverpool have traded well, but because of the size of the club and the pull of the club, you'd be able to pull in players that Southampton wouldn't be able to. So if Southampton sold a player for £100 million, they wouldn't be able to go and sign Alisson Becker. Liverpool can because it's Liverpool as well, you know, the size of the club. Do, so do, Liverpool, Liverpool, I think, have been performed... You could say maybe two or three years ago, if you were to give the FSG reign a rating, you could say, well, they've, they've settled the club down, they've financially made the club more stable, You know, they've built a main stand, they've appointed a manager, but they weren't getting across the line, whether it be in the transfer market. You know, They had lots of criticism in Liverpool in the transfer market for not getting the signings right and sometimes missing out on signings. Since they've ironed that out, things have improved. Football is largely defined by your recruitment. As you said, all looks great, doesn't it, when you're winning and you're 29th in the table. Yeah. If you're top of the table and you're not winning, there's yeah. a different perspective on it. Uh, let's go on the transfer front. Mabs has uh, sent this one in to you, James. What's your opinion about the uh, potential signing of Kylian Mbappe? <laughs> on the one hand, it would be a great statement from Liverpool, signing one of the biggest names in world football. On the other, it's buying a huge name, which will drastically alter the team dynamic. Is it even vaguely possible in the next I year? I don't think so. Two years? No, no I mean, I, I would... The, the prospect of watching him play for Liverpool would be would be absolutely mouthwatering. But um, he was very complimentary about Liverpool in an interview with the BBC last week, and obviously that fueled the uh, the speculation that's that's gone on. I, I saw I saw an interview with a French reporter as well who said that you know he thinks Mbappe would would be keen to make the move to Anfield in the future, and I think well, of course he would. I think I think any player in world football would look at what Klopp has created and what Liverpool have been doing this season and think. You know, I fancy being a part of that. I think, mm. but the the line that that stuck out for me in in that report was uh, the fact that you know he, the belief that a deal could be done for an, in the region of three hundred million to three hundred and fifty million euros, and it's like ah right. Well, I think I think that may well be the sticking point. You know, 
on what planet are Liverpool going to be spending that kind of money on on Kylian Mbappe? It's just it creates all sorts of problems, even just yeah, his wages. The wage it? structure, you know, at the moment, yeah. you know, that's you know, that's another thing. I mean, he, for a start, any any deal like that for you know, what, who is essentially a superstar, you know, even for there to be the remotest chance, Liverpool would have it would be to replace one of the existing front three, which and I don't see either of those three wanting to move on this summer and Liverpool certainly don't want to shift you know Salah Mane or Firmino on so I think yeah for that for that reason I just think although although Alisson and Van Dijk as Simon said before were real like statement signings go out by the best mm. the context of that was Liverpool had 140 odd million from the Coutinho, Coutinho sale by and large you look at the way Liverpool have operated and the way that Klopp operates and he would you know, Klopp's described it before as almost he wants to sign the next Mbappe. He wants to sign where you know not not the one who is now this absolute superstar that would cost three hundred million euros. Where's the, where's the next one? And I and I think they're the kind of deals we're more likely to see Liverpool do and improve the player. And on the front three, you'll never walk alone. Says uh, forget the FA Cup. How's Saudi Mane doing? The, the club have been uh, they haven't offered up any uh, any update at all yet. Obviously, he underwent the scan, didn't he on. Uh, on Friday afternoon, um, you know, the initial word was a few weeks rather than anything more serious than that. So, uh, so no, still, still waiting to hear the full, the full uh, prognosis of that. They tend not to now, Liverpool, don't they? It's, there tends to be an initial reaction of how long they're going to be, and then, you know, we've seen it with Fabinho, haven't we? It's, it's always a little bit longer than they'd like, but they don't want to say it's going to be that long mm. because it gets people panicked a little bit. But yeah, Klopp is very like it's, it's one of the. It's one of the few areas where it's difficult to pin him down on. Usually, he'll talk and talk, and you know, and and is very open and honest. But injuries is the one thing, and I, and I, I never quite figured out whether I think part of it is not wanting to give too much away to to opponents or whatever. Um, but I think also he, you know, he he said before he doesn't like setting timescales on injuries because I think he thinks that if you put it out there that someone's going to be out for four or six weeks, then if they don't make it back in that time, it becomes almost Oh, he must have had a setback. You know, it, why has mm. it been? He, it's, you said four weeks. It's now five weeks. What's happened to him? Does that then put pressure on the player to 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 rush himself back a bit sooner? Um, or even you know, or even someone said to me, you know, the, the idea that if you tell someone you're going to be out for four to six weeks, well, that's in their head. I'm going to be out for that amount of time anyway. When he would rather the mindset being, well, no, you would would just do everything we possibly can commit 100% to the rehab to try and get we don't know how quickly it's going to heal so let's not put a time frame on it let's just let's just work as hard as we can do as much as we can to get you back as as soon as possible when you're ready you're ready uh, look thanks for those great questions we're going to try and do that um, red agenda inbox as often as possible because there's loads of conversations out there that that people would like the guys to discuss in the studio uh, one final one Josh says uh, you two having a winter break <laughs> oh yeah good question actually James has had plenty um, is there different. an argument yeah, to get on to the Athletic HQ and say release us with I am, feeling, I am feeling fatigued it's been a long season <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think it's time to play the kids <laughs> boys thank you very much Simon Hughes James Pierce. as always I'm Steve Hothersall and for uh, ad free podcasts if you want to listen to the Red Agenda ad free uh, subscribe to the Athletic listen through the app and you can get a 40% discount now by using the code Liverpool Pod. Thank you very much for everyone who's listened to The Red Agenda and for all the great feedback we've had in recent weeks. We'll return in a week's time.